This is episode 28 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Friday, April 1st, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry Programmer, with a mic, Brian Bemrose. I wasn't always the sarcastic, cynical curmudgeon that you hear today on this podcast. Back in the day, I was a much more religious and much less spiritual, though truth be told, still just as sarcastic and cynical. There was one day out of the year that was more sacred than any other, more holy than the over-commercialized Christian holidays, more popular than the stolen pagan holidays, and more legitimate than the government-legislated bank holidays, and that was April 1st. The idea of an entire holiday dedicated to fucking with uptight people who take themselves too seriously was a dream come true to someone like me, all the more so because you couldn't legally retaliate against someone who pranked you on April 1st. It was in the Constitution or something. At least that's how teenage Bemrose imagined it. To young idealistic pranksters like me, the rise of the internet in the 1990s was a godsend. Not least because everybody who knew me offline already knew to expect shenanigans at the beginning of April. In 2002, I administered an online PHPBB bulletin board community that hosted several independent webcomics. Independent because they didn't want to lose autonomy by joining one of the big webcomic hosting conglomerates. Basically, just like it is today with podcasts. Mid-March of that year, I started seeding rumors that we were having financial troubles and may have to close down the forums to save hosting costs. Publicly, I assured everyone that everything was fine and that we had plans to make sure the board would continue no matter what. Late on the 31st of March, I let slip that our hosting had run out and we may need to take desperate measures. Overnight, I switched the PHPBB theme of the board and posted an announcement. On the morning of April 1st, users of our board logged in to see our entire forum decorated in the distinctive green of Keenspot, one of our biggest webcomic hosts, whose board admins had graciously donated the use of their theme for the day. The board announcement said that we had been absorbed under their wing and effective immediately, all of our webcomics would be transitioning under the Keenspot banner. To help the prank along, I recruited several mods and even one of our webcomic artists to confirm that this is what happened. We answered users' questions, we directed users to a similar announcement posted by the Keenspot board admins, who were of course in on the joke. Eventually, it all came crashing down when some self-appointed internet sleuths peeled away at the cracks in the facade and exposed the whole thing as a fraud. During the day, there were the standard selection of people who thought that the joke was hilarious, people who didn't think it was funny at all, people who didn't get it, and people who thought that the whole thing was in poor taste and swore to leave and never come back over it. I personally thought the whole thing was utterly hilarious and dutifully put everything back to our usual theme by the end of the day. I remember getting comments at the time that the prank was unexpected and original and clever. I was proud of my work. Now, fast forward 20 years, you can see that same prank or a variation thereof played on every other site on the internet, except that the internet pranks today are hollow, often boring and trite. It's not just that they've all been done, and it's not even that we all come into April 1st expecting every site to play lame pranks and jokes. It's that most of the jokes feel hollow, corporate, overseen by some middle manager who wants to check off the hip box on their public relations spreadsheet and then assign it to an underling like so many bug fixes. And so... As with all religious rituals, April Fool's stopped being about the exploration of the human condition 
and instead became an obligation on a PR checkbox. It lost its power. It got commercialized. April Fool's is a religious holiday that outlived its usefulness. And how can it not? The day is about the absurd coming to life, about straining incredulity to the breaking point to see how many people you can rope into your collective shared delusion. How can this be considered a holiday anymore when it happens every day of the year? From the Telegramming It In department, this story comes from Brazil, where a little bit of the partisan drama played out last week regarding Telegram. Supreme Court Justice Alexandre de Moraes, I probably butchered that, issued an ultimatum to the service in early March, claiming that it, quote, provides access to drugs, weapons, and other illicit content. It's a convenient excuse, but so does your local shady alley. But a bit further down in the order was what I think is the real reason. Telegram was, quote, used by Brazilian politicians to share fake news, a.k.a. Bolsonaro supporters. Responding to the order, federal police asked Telegram to take down these groups and provide data on their members. Telegram never responded to this order, so on Friday the 18th, Moraes issued an order banning the service from Brazil entirely. Telegram has shown contempt for Brazilian justice. The company has had multiple opportunities to cooperate with law enforcement, but never did. The order required that all internet providers and platforms stop Telegram services and provided for fines of 100,000 real per day, or about $20,000, for not complying. Apple and Google were specifically named in the order because their app stores, quote, enable Telegram services. Fortunately, all was well that ends well, unless you're a Bolsonaro supporter. By the following Sunday, Telegram caved and capitulated to the federal police demands, including banning several Bolsonaro aides and supporters and shutting down several pro-Bolsonaro chat groups. Moraes quickly revoked the order, and the rest of us can maybe not trust Telegram ever again. From the Fruit Capitalism Department. The Big Apple story last week is technically still in the rumor stage, but rumors about Apple are taken as gospel by the tech pundits, and it's been reported all over the place. This rumor comes from Bloomberg, who report that Apple is planning to move to a fully subscription service for several of their hardware products, including the iPhone. Subscription plans have long been the holy grail of software companies. Why should customers pay only once when you can force them to pay over and over again every single month? And from a bean counting perspective, the subscription model is far superior. It is much easier to forecast when your revenue stream is a predictable amount on a schedule than it is to when you only get paid when you acquire new customers. The latter requires lots of marketing and sales effort and can be inconsistent. The former just requires inertia. Subscriptions also have a habit of fading out of consciousness for most people, short-circuiting the buying decision and causing customers to continue paying out of sheer forgetfulness. Another win for the bottom line. Subscription software also makes a sort of ethical sense in the modern day, assuming you see software not as a one-time purchase, but as an endless stream of automatic updates. In that context, owning software becomes an ongoing service agreement. You pay for the service monthly, and the vendor constantly modifies and upgrades the software with new features, bug fixes, and supply chain attacks. This conversation came up often at my former employer, Windows Enterprise has been a subscription service for decades, and the conversation came up all the time if the home user was finally ready to pay their Windows monthly bill. They did manage to convert Office to subscription while I was there, but I'm not sure they ever did it with home Windows, maybe in Windows 11. But 
This Apple rumor takes it one step further than just subscription software. This is subscription hardware. The average American's time between phone upgrades is a little over two years, according to unnamed sources and a very brief quant search that turned up some 2019 numbers. The idea of financing a phone, spreading out the phone purchase over many monthly bills is not new. Carriers do it all the time. It's pretty common. The practice comes from other big ticket items like cars. But this isn't financing. It's closer to an automobile lease, which is just like financing, except when the payment period is up, you don't own the car. The benefit to the lease is flexibility. If you don't like the car you're in, you can switch it up for a different model or a newer one. Apple famously does not allow different models of its products. You get the one iPhone and you like it. They have been releasing a new model yearly for the last few years, which in all likelihood is the appeal for this product. The type of person who has to have the absolute newest model of phone year after year is probably not going to be bothered by sending a year's worth of payments to Apple and not even owning the old phone at the end. Of course, all of this is academic speculation. The other half of the value equation is cost. If the cost is low, then the exchange is worth it. If the cost is high, then it's not. Not even Bloomberg's crystal ball has told us how much Apple will charge for this subscription, but judging by how much the company charges for all of its other offerings, I bet it's high. One thing that's sure, this move will open up many new ways for you to give more money to Apple. I have little doubt that there are some of you out there who would swap out your iPhone monthly if given the opportunity, and who will eagerly lap up any product blessed by the hand of Tim. This is your right, at least as long as our society is still allowed to practice capitalism. Besides, by this point, you've been warned. You know that Apple's business practices are greedy, abusive, and user-hostile. But we really love Apple's products. Yeah, and I love a double-fudge sundae with cookie dough sprinkled on top, but it's bad for me. Loving something doesn't excuse the irreparable self-harm that can come from indulging in it. You're only hurting yourself in the long run. Think about that the next time you re-up your codependence relationship with this company. From the I'm Just Waiting for Teleporters department, Mercedes-Benz has announced its new Drive Pilot feature, which they claim is the first self-driving technology with SAE th Level 3 autonomous driving, leapfrogging all other companies' self-driving features. A quick refresher on the levels for those like me who had to look them up. Level 0 is all-manual, all-human driver. This is every car before about 2010. Level 1 is small assist features like lane keeping or auto braking. Level 2 is the most common self-driving that you see today. The car takes care of most of the driving, but a human has to be constantly vigilant and take the wheel if something happens out of the ordinary. Level 3 is where it gets interesting. The car is in charge pretty much all the time, and the human is just another passenger. The car might prompt the rider to take over, but most of the time, they don't even have to be looking outside. Levels 4 and 5 are further advanced stuff where the car no longer even comes equipped with a steering wheel. The move from 2 to 3 is pretty significant for a couple of reasons. Safety, for one... Level 2 autonomous driving, the kind that's out on the freeways today, is actually quite dangerous. The user is supposed to be paying attention just as much as if they're driving. But since they're not driving, it's really easy for a human to drop into a routine and zone out, especially on something really dull like a commute. The better the level 2 cars are, the less often the driver has to take control, and the higher the chance that they won't take control when they need to. The other effect of level 3 driving is that now that the computer is primarily in charge, does that mean that the computer is already also liable for anything that goes wrong? Courts have held that computers can't be held liable, but who is liable for a wreck in an autonomous car that the driver is not driving anymore? 
It's an untested legal question that will have to be answered in the next decade. For DrivePilot, Mercedes has decided to short-circuit the question. The company says that it will fully accept all legal liability while DrivePilot is engaged. Some have charitably described me as a skeptic when it comes to self-driving cars. I make every effort to find the cynical side of any story, but I have to admit this move really surprises me. That a company would accept liability in this way shows the kind of confidence in their product that might almost make me want to trust it. Although not enough to make me want to go out and buy a self-driving Mercedes, at least not until donations to this podcast make a significant upturn. Still, this is only a press release so far. Mercedes says that cars with this feature will be, quote, available later this year. The believe it when I see it part of me is going to wait and see until level three autonomous driving is actually on the road before singing its praises. Just call me a hopeful optimist. Thanks go out this week to Brian Janak, Sean McCune, Rachel Zimmerman, and Christopher Reamer for supporting Angry Tech News. I'm still having some trouble, as you may have noticed, keeping ATN on a consistent Tuesday schedule. Some stuff going on locally, combined with constant apocalyptic rumors that are hard to tune out, have caused me to try to eject from most of the news these days for my own mental hygiene. Motivation isn't that easy to come by in this situation, and it gets a whole lot harder when all my tech news feeds got spammed by stories of Russia and Ukraine and other purely political crap. It's you producers that are providing the motivation to keep going. Every time I get a ping from PayPal or a check arrives in the mail or a pew pew of somebody boosting the show hits my node, even if only for a few sats, or even when somebody boosts the show on Mastodon and shares it with a friend, it reminds me that I'm not the only one going through this and that there are people counting on me to provide the important service of shitting all over the technology stories in the news. So. Thanks also go out this week to every single one of the Angry Tech News producers, especially the ones who come in month after month to keep this going. I feel bad when I let you down, but you're also the people convincing me to keep up going no matter what. So I'm trying something new with the show. If it works, you'll be getting ATN more often, but the episodes may only cover a couple stories each. We'll see how it goes. Okay, enough sappy emotional bullcrap time for the usual spiel. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you got value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, be it $5, $50, or $500. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News. With the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry.